Support for Think Humanities is brought to you by the Spalding University School of Creative and Professional Writing. Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's stories for 48 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman. It's always a good time to talk about books, writers, what you're reading, and what's happening in the publishing world. But when you're having this discussion right in the middle of the Kentucky Humanities Kentucky Book Festival, and your guests are two delightful and knowledgeable bibliophiles, it's even better. Joining me today are Sarah Volpe Woods, the director of the Kentucky Book Festival and former director of the Kentucky Book Festival, Brooke Raby, who is now the director of marketing and sales for the University Press of Kentucky. So welcome to you both. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for having us. Sarah, uh, as I um, I have said, uh, we're uh, in the middle of festival week. um, And I would just like to say before we get to the schedule and the website and all things uh, books and uh, authors and writers and discussions that will be occurring. What's it been like to put together this book festival this year in 2020 in the middle of this pandemic, Sarah? Well, everyone's favorite word since about mid-March has been uncertain, right? So that's what it felt like at first before we knew for certain that we were going virtual. We tried to make plans to have a socially distanced event and uh it was it was going to be a bit of a mess making sure that we were we were going to be compliant but it would have taken so much time and money to be fully compliant so transitioning over to a, a virtual event meant learning a lot about zoom and um and and figuring out how to produce something that people won't tune out on within a few minutes of of tuning in. So uh, pulling in a production company here in Lexington uh, with Studio 46 has been great to work with, um, but also trying to produce events ourselves. Uh, I've learned a lot and, and our team has been very helpful in putting together to-do lists and making sure everything gets done on time and efficiently. So um, yeah, it's been it's been pretty crazy, but I'm pleased with how our lineup um, came together in the end. What did you learn? What were you skeptic about in March and April and May and June? Um, what were you skeptical about that might not be possible? And, and what have you been able to accomplish when the planning started and you find yourself uh, in the end of September when we began the uh, happy hour. And you might also mention that those are all online. People can go back if they miss those uh, early on. Um, what were you in question about and, and how did you get around that? Well, one big question was, how do we have a book festival that feels like it's true to itself and its tradition of connecting readers and authors when we can't actually be together in the same room. So when you're not able to get a book signed or come and meet an author, it's kind of like, well, what do we do to make this feel special? And how do we um, accomplish programs that are 
um, again, true to true to the events uh, history. So starting out in September with Susan Riegler and Peggy No Stevens talking all about bourbon and showing people how to do a bourbon tasting. I was honestly, I didn't really know what to expect, but it was so informative and interesting. And I learned a lot about bourbon that I would have never known had I not bought their book, um, obviously, but um, it, it was it was still unique and it still felt special. And so I knew after we did that first program, I knew for certain that the things that we were going to offer were still going to be, you know, top tier, great conversations and um, things that are still going to encourage people to go buy the book. And, you know, I'm all about buying the book at our local store, (laughs) not um, certain websites online. So hopefully uh, sharing about the events or sharing about the books in these virtual programs um, gives people a lot more inside information than just reading the the jacket copy. So it's, it's still worth it in that way. You know, we're still able to connect um, past fans and hopefully future fans of these authors that maybe are tuning in to see Silas House and then they discover Ashley Bloom's new book is amazing. And they say, oh, wow, I want to read that one too. So it's definitely still worth it, even though we can't um, meet in person. Brooke, you left uh, Kentucky Humanities uh, a couple of years ago for a stint at the uh, the nonprofit Hope Center, uh, a wonderful organization um, caring for the homeless and at-risk persons uh, headquartered in Lexington, but but you have a footprint. Uh, the Hope Center has a footprint uh, uh, outside of Lexington also. And um, then a short time ago, um, you joined the University Press of Kentucky. Um, I want you to tell us a, a little bit about the University Press and and how things are going there. And uh, also mention that we are partners um, at the University Press is such a um, an honorable um wonderful publishing house that represents many, many authors and uh, writers and has for so many years. So how are you enjoying your, your time there? I am really enjoying it. And I, I would be remiss to not mention that, uh, you know, starting a new job in the middle of a pandemic from my couch rather than, you know, in the office with my, um, with my coworkers, uh, was certainly, um, I, I was a little concerned, but it, it's gone really, really well. Um, everyone's wonderful and so knowledgeable. And as you mentioned, you know, um, it's uh, the the books we publish um, are so important to Kentucky. They're so important to um, readers of all, you know, of all kinds. Um, you know, I we are doubly committed and have been for for more than 75 years now of um, it kind of like you all are telling Kentucky's story. Uh, we write a, and publish a lot of books um, about uh, Kentucky culture and history, identity. Um, you know, even our, our fiction, of course, fiction is a great reflection of who, of, of cultural identity. Um, and we're getting into more of that. So long story short, we're doing really great. Uh, I'm extremely happy and honored to be there. Um, and I think really uh, better days, you know, better days are, are, are coming. Um, the great thing about this, I mean, the one great thing I think about coming into this during COVID is that more people are reading. Um, 
of course, you know, which I'm always happy to see that, you know, we've, we've had a lot of interest in um, some, some books, maybe more than we thought we were going to have when we initially published them, uh, which is always a great problem to have. Um, it's, it's really great to see more people reading, but the, you know, the downside is and to sort of allude to what Sarah said, you know, the channels through which folks buy books um, have changed. Um, and I fear, you know, the climate is going to take a really hard toll. In fact, it already has taken a really hard toll on a lot of independent booksellers. So <clears throat> for, you know, for my part, uh, encouraging people to buy from your local independent bookstores or the closest independent bookstores to you um, is, is important. You know, encouraging people to buy early because, you know, things have changed. Things have changed from what they were before COVID. So if you're looking, you know, for for gifts and stuff, the earlier, the better, um, just to get those in time. Brooke, let me just ask you, what are university presses? Um, uh, how many are there? Uh, do, does every college or university have a, uh, a press? Or uh, sometimes we hear of uh, the, 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 the ones that uh, hopefully University Press of Kentucky is in the the top tier, but you hear of uh, of Louisiana uh, being uh, around for a long time, or you you know of a a, a prominent historian who might be uh, teaching at the University of Kentucky or or somewhere else. Yet their book is being published by the uh, University Press of North Carolina or something like that. So what what uh, what is the the difference in uh, a regular publishing house and a university press uh, that's housed uh, w- with a university. To so my mind, the primary difference between a regular, what, what I would call trade house, like Penguin Random House or Simon & Schuster, um, or even smaller houses, is that they're really looking for the money. And that's not, uh, that sounds like a crass way to say it, but it's, uh, but that's at the end of the day, that's really what they're looking for. Um, university presses such as the University Press of Kentucky have a mission um, to, uh, to provide information. A lot of times we tell stories that a big house wouldn't pick up, but that we feel are stories that need to be told, you know, nonetheless. The mission is really, really important. A lot of times we, we will publish a book that we don't necessarily think is going to be a bestseller or anything like that, but it's because we feel strongly that the story needs to be told and the right person is telling the story. Well, there's a lot to talk about um, uh, from the University Press and uh, how you are connected to the Kentucky Humanities Kentucky Book Festival. And Sarah and uh, Brooke, I'm sort of going to turn it over to you on, uh, I want Sarah to talk about some of the things coming up uh, for this week, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then Saturday, the uh, the day of the, the book festival, when we would be live out at uh, the Alltech Arena, but that's not going to happen this year. Uh, but first... The University Press uh, has a number, I mean, maybe as many as they've ever had uh, titles that are available this fall for for people uh, to be interested in. So um, let's talk about the ones that are going to be not more or less featured at uh, the Kentucky Book Festival. They're all available uh, through the University Press and through independent bookstores. But the ones that we're going to highlight, maybe that's the best way. And Sarah, why don't you just begin that and talk about what you're looking for uh, from the University Press of Kentucky? Sure. We started, of course, I I had 
25 or so, I think, authors and books that we were going to have from UPK had we had an in-person event. Um, you know, every year, uh, at least in recent history, a University Press of Kentucky book has been a top 10 bestseller at the book fair itself, right? So we know that those books are, um, people are excited about them, whether it's basketball or bourbon or historical figures, um, Enid Yandel, you know, uh, books that, like Brooke said, you're not going to get anywhere else. So we kicked off the book fair festival this year with, um, Peggy No Stevens and Susan Riegler talking about how to host the perfect bourbon tasting and, um, you know, everything from what kind of uh, food pairs with what kind of bourbon to how to how to smell your bourbon, how to savor it, all that. Um, so that was a great way to kick it off. Um, and we had a lot of viewers at that virtual event. Um, so the the book we're going to feature next in the book festival lineup. Um, well, we actually already will have featured it by the time this airs is uh, November 10th, the historical fiction panel with uh, Margaret Verbal, Roxana Robinson, Annette Sinek, Clap Saddle, and Bobby Ann Mason. And that's a pretty stacked lineup right there. You know, uh, Margaret Verbal is um, her most recent book is Cherokee America. Um, the books are set from, I think, the 1860s to 1960. So they, the female characters and heroines, the, their struggles, uh, kind of run the gamut, <laughs> you know, of, uh, they're, they're dealing with, um, family history, they're dealing with race, they're dealing with class. Um, and even in Bobby and Mason's book, they're dealing with the Vietnam war. So, uh, it, the, the panel is very, uh, a broad reaching panel. Um, Roxana Robinson's book, I believe is set in the Carolinas. Um, and it's roughly based on some uh, family history. I believe it's her grandfather. And then um, Bobby Ann's book, uh, like I said, is set. Uh, actually, the narrator is on a cruise uh, in the present day, <laughs> reminiscing about her college days. Um, and then I'll let Brooke talk a little more uh, about Annette's book, Even As We Breathe, um, which I haven't been able to get my hands on because Joseph Beth is sold out. <laughs> so I guess that's a good problem to have, right? Yes, it is. It's not just Joseph Beth. Um, we ran out of the first printing of that book um, much more quickly than we had anticipated, which is a great problem to have. Um, but um, it, you know, it has been available. It's just been a bit slow, but it's available now. We just did a second printing. We're really excited about it. Uh, Annette, uh, this has been, uh, wow, what an incredible book to, to start my, career at UPK on um, for various reasons, logistical and everything else, but um, probably first and foremost, because it's a remarkable book. Um, and Annette is a remarkable person. Um, she, of course, is um, the first in her tribe. She's an enrolled member of the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians, and she's the first of her tribe to publish a novel. And it's it's a great book. It's set in Western North Carolina, which is her home. She's very familiar with and um, at, at the Grove Park Inn which um, is a very sort of fancy, very world-renowned kind of uh, resort. And this was set during, I think, the, er, this is the early 40s, I think maybe 41 and 42, but I would have to double-check that. But this is a thing that really happened, um, that uh, Axis diplomats, so the bad guys, were being held at the Grove Park Inn as sort of an internment uh, kind of for them. So it's diplomats and their wives and their families. Um, and they're just sort of chilling out there for a little while. And um, the story, it's, 
that's a cool, I mean, that had me anyway, but then she goes on to introduce Coney and, um, you know, hit this sort of, uh, dichotomy of, you know, his, right, his life on the reservation and then his life working at the Grove Park Inn and seeing the sort of like, like the stratification of classes and everything else. These are terrible, terrible people that are living in the lap of luxury while he, you know, does menial tasks and stuff around the resort. And because of who he is, you know, because of the fact that he is native, you know, it's, it's, he'll never really get to the same level as these people that are actually instigating death across the world. Um, So um, again, race and class, like you mentioned, are a huge part of this, but we're just so proud of Annette. Um, We're just so proud of Annette for, how well this has gone. And I'm so excited for you all to get to hear her because she's really wonderful. If you've never gotten to hear her before. And again, the book is back in stock. We should not have any trouble getting it. And I hope you certainly will um, because it's, it's well worth your time. Uh, Brooke and, and Sarah, I think I've spoken to Sarah about this, but I um, had the uh, wonderful opportunity to talk with uh, Bobby Ann Mason uh, for the podcast. Um, but her, her book, Dear Anne, is, uh, I, I, I just thought it was wonderful. And uh, it is, uh, it's, it's set in the, in the 60s. Uh, and she really goes back, uh, as Sarah said, uh, it starts out on a cruise, but she's looking back at her life. And she's done such a great job um, uh, recapturing uh, those uh, memories and um, uh, a, a, a long lost love. Um, uh, Jimmy was special to her when they were in school together. And uh, I, I think, uh, Brooke, the other thing that I, I spoke to Bobby Ann about is uh, something that was sort of in between your stint uh, at uh, Kentucky Humanities and then uh, now back at University Press. And that's Patchwork, which came out, uh, I guess, a couple of years ago. And oh, my goodness gracious, I don't know. Uh, I think I just purchased the book last year at the Kentucky book festival and really kind of put it aside and picked it up because I was going to do the podcast. Um, that is the, the penultimate Bobby and Mason reader from everything that she's ever done. Uh, excerpts from all of her wonderful novels uh, in country and uh, essays that she's written and, and then um, some of her more recent work too. So she's such a, uh, an ambassador for Kentucky writing. I mean, when you think of of Kentucky writing, we're so fortunate to have uh, so many uh, rich, wonderful people uh, writing under Kentucky. And boy, she's right there at the top. I think um, not the very top. She's it, we have like uh, how many ten number ones? Yeah, and you know that was a labor of love for the press, and uh, but it was uh, but every bit of work was absolutely worth it to. Um, to honor Bobby Ann and to give people an idea of, of everything that she's capable of, which seems to be sort of infinite. Um, and I love that. I got to tell you, Sarah, I love this, this historical fiction um, panel. Uh, historical fiction, I think is um, really great because not only does it sort of give you a little bit, you know, give you a little bit of history about the thing that happens, but it talks about, it, it gives you insight into the humanity of the people that were living uh, during these historical events, we we tend to sort of keep them very distant. But really, what happens is that there are people that are experiencing all of this, and they have the same feelings and fears and, and everything that we all do. Sarah, talk about another UPK book uh, that you're really interested in uh, that maybe um, 
Brooke can also add something to. Well, we we basically have a a UPK uh, book represented on you know almost every day of the book festival week, um, which I won't say it was on purpose, but I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, on uh, November 11th at 7 p.m. Uh, or no, I'm sorry, at noon, uh, we're doing a um, panel about getting published and. That one began with Courtney Mom's book, which I have right here. I'll show you, even though you can't see it, Before and After the Book Deal, A Writer's Guide to Finishing, Publishing, Promoting, and Surviving Your First Book. So the title of the book takes up the entire cover. Um, But that is to say that, you know, in the book, you've got everything from, it's literally, you know, steps one to a thousand. If you're interested in getting published, she answers every question and she interviews um, she interviews a, a slew of authors, R.O. Kwan, Rebecca Mackay, um, and, and Courtney apparently did that by just emailing them or um, if she'd met them in the past, um, you know, asking them if, if they could just chat briefly about their path to publishing. And so once I booked Courtney pretty early on, um, I didn't really know who else I wanted on the panel because there, there are always debut authors every year. Um, and Alice Spielberg, uh, the founding agent of Spielberg Literacy or um, sorry, Literary in Louisville, um, is a, an agent I've worked with in the past at other events. She's moderated panels for me before. And it just so happens that she is uh, the agent for Beverly Bell, who wrote The Murder of Marion Miley. And I remember um this book, which this is a University Press of Kentucky book. I remember it because I saw the cover um, on UPK's fall uh, magazine. And I was like, that is the coolest um, cover. <laughs> it's uh, we, we really do judge books by their cover and it's okay. Um, uh, so it's kind of a classic, um, almost like a, it's like a 1940s kind of uh, magazine looking image uh, of a golfer with her long skirt on. And um, it just ties in so well with the, the legend and story of, um, of Marion Miley, who um, was unfortunately um, killed in the 1940s, right, Brooke? So Beverly has uh, kind of written the definitive account of, of this book. And so having her on the panel and being able to have her with her literary agent, I think will be really interesting because a lot of people don't understand that relationship. It's um, kind of fuzzy. <laughs> and so I think anyone that's interested in publishing and wants to know the difference between an agent and an editor uh, for instance, or what on earth is a query letter and how do I write one? Um, these are the types of things that they're going to talk about. Um, so Courtney and then Beverly um, and then Clint Edwards, who is kind of the wild card in this bunch. Um, he uh, runs a successful blog. And I know a lot of people um, that get published start in blogging. And so he's been running this blog for years. It is very funny. It's about being a dad and having young kids and the, the shenanigans that happen on a daily basis. Luckily he has funny children. Um, I've read some of his blog posts and I really did laugh out loud. So I, um, I emailed him and asked him to be on the panel and he said, he'd love to do it. Um, and his book is called father ish laugh out loud tales from a dad trying not to ruin his kids' lives. We were going to have uh, Casey Sepp on the panel, but we had a, a scheduling mix-up um, snafu. So uh, her book, Furious Hours, 
we featured uh, last year, but she was unable to come in person last year. Um, but I do want to plug the book. It's fascinating. Um, it's it's really, really good. And it's out in paperback now. So, um, Brooke, do you want to talk a little bit about Beverly? This is her first book, right? It is. It is. She's been she's been uh, writing you know, in magazines and doing some crime writing and stuff for, for quite some time. Um, but this is the first, this is her first book. Um, and it's a kind of a fictionalized account of the murder of Marion Miley. She was 27 years old and was murdered in 1941. <clears throat> and Beverly, um, Beverly kind of tells the story from the perspective of three characters, uh, Marion's father, her best friend, and then one of her killers. Um, so it's, it's not nonfiction, but, um, coming from Beverly Bell, who has researched this, uh, extensively, um, this is the closest, you know, this is the closest you're going to get to nonfiction while still being a novel. Um, and a lot of folks probably remember the KET documentary that came out a few years back now, not, not too long ago about Mary and Miley. And Beverly was a consultant and worked, worked closely with KET on that documentary. So, um, it's, it's a it's a well-written novel about an incredibly interesting and tragic, uh, event. Yeah. And true, true crime, uh, is huge right now, especially because of podcasts like serial and others. Um, and so I, I have friends and family that, um, some, the only thing they read is true crime. (laughs) So, uh, you know, people kind of stick to their genres, um, stick to the devil, you know, but yeah, this, this is fun because, um, in the slew of Kentucky books, um, it's, it's kind of rare. I mean, this is a crazy story, but, um, it's, it's kind of rare to pluck a story like this out and then have the creative energy to, to, you know, kind of fictionalize it and make it, um, more than just a, you know, a news story. Um, the legend continues. So I'll be, um, pleased to, see that conversation unfold. I think it'll be fun. Well, I was going to say, what's great about Beverly in terms of having her on your panel about being published is that Beverly's quite aware of the work that goes into being a published author, that there's never really, you know, there's never really a stopping point or anything like that. It's an ongoing process. And so I think she'll be frank and candid with, with folks that are tuned in. Yeah. Yeah. It's difficult to get true publishing knowledge um you know even at a book festival sometimes because it's hard to really get into that deep conversation with an author um uh, it's like you don't have the time for it so hopefully people can go back and reference that um when the session's over um continuing on with our our upk authors on friday morning we've uh on november 13th we've partnered up with the chamber of commerce again the lexington chamber of commerce uh do a virtual spotlight breakfast with the the one and only Jim Host, um, whose book is Changing the Game, and he co-wrote it with Eric A. Moyen. So they will discuss, uh, I suppose, writing the book together and and Jim's um, long career. And uh, the tickets are available um, if you, uh, I guess, at kyhumanities.org. We we have a link to the chambers link, <laughs> so you can find the information. Um, so I, I don't know enough about Jim Host cause I'm not from Lexington, but I know that he, uh, is quite a star. So what can you say about Jim Host? Uh, 
the, I mean, the man changed the way we consume college sports, which doesn't seem like a big deal, but what he did was, uh, was just so remarkable and became such a standard for, um, for the, for the cooperation between, you know, corporations, businesses, and, you know, college athletic systems. Um, and not to mention, I mean, there were the, all the broadcasting innovations and, and NCAA radio, all the things that we take for granted now in NCAA sports are, are really down to Jim. And it's just, he's just a remarkable person. And you could not have found a better person to do the spotlight breakfast with Commerce Lexington. Yeah. Jim's very proud of uh, this book. Uh, he's proud uh, and he should be of his uh, life uh, in in sports and uh, being in the world, he um, this uh, uh, book starts out uh, with his uh, with childhood uh, in in Ashland. He was quite an athlete. He played uh, Major League Baseball, uh, but after school, he had a he had a political career for a while. Um, uh, but I think what you uh, said, Brooke. Uh, sort of underlines uh, what a lot of people don't know uh, about how innovative he was and uh, the work that he did to, to not only take uh, college athletics uh, in Kentucky to, uh, uh, we're always talking the next level, it's really national uh, athletics uh, in, in the collegiate uh, era uh, to another level, uh, radio, uh, commercials, uh, as we all sometimes look at what uh, money is available in college sports today, a lot of that can be directly traced back to uh, to the innovation that Jim uh, applied uh, to not only UK, but to many other schools uh, in the Southeastern Conference and then nationally. It, it's quite an amazing story. And the book is very well written. Eric Moen is a uh, uh, an experienced writer. He's done some other uh, Kentucky writing, uh, wrote a biography of one of the uh, University of Kentucky presidents. Um, and he and Jim uh, hit it off well. Uh, and it's uh, it's very well written. Uh, Jim will be available. And by the way, Sarah, just to add on to that, it is, um, uh, again, a, uh, a free event uh, from uh, Commerce Lex and Kentucky Humanities. If you want the book, uh, signed by Jim, personally signed by Jim. Uh, there is a purchase uh, um, uh, uh, that can go along with that. And uh, I, I know a lot of people will be interested in getting a, a signed a copy of, of Jim's uh, book. So that's, uh, and let's just, uh, before we take a break and hear from our friends at Spalding, Brooke, why don't you name one more uh, book uh, that, that uh, whether or not we're featuring it at the Kentucky Book Festival, just one of your one of your favorites this fall uh, that um, that you've kind of had your eye on uh, since you came back to the university press. Well, um, I, I am going to go ahead and hit on one that you all are featuring uh, because it ticks so many of my boxes. It's the Samantha Kneecap uh, Literacy in the Mountains. Um, Bill, you know how I feel about local journalism. I think we all learned a lot of lessons uh, during the first Kentucky Reads program back in 2018. Um, but this book, talks a lot about really sort of drives home the fact that local journalism is the truest reflection of a community that you can, one of the truest reflections of a community that can exist. Um, Especially, you know, Appalachia and the mountains deals with so much, so much stereotyping of them as illiterate, uneducated, untexted, um, 
that you know there's that they have zero interest in being citizens but that's quite the contrary um and Neekamp goes back and looks at, at five of the the small regional newspapers remember newspapers um uh, and and really sort of uses those to show us a picture of an engaged citizenry of people that were very very concerned about education for themselves and their children um and about their futures and you know again it's it, it it breaks my heart that newspapers aren't a part of uh, of our lexicon of communication as much as they were anymore. But I do love uh, I do love that this that this book exists and and that we're getting a different side of the story um, from uh, and dispelling all of these of these myths these national myths about people in the mountains. You know, very very few things are as they appear. You're exactly right. That that's uh, she's on a panel which uh, Sarah has titled uh, Understanding Appalachia Journalistic Perceptions of a Region. And very quickly, uh, Sarah, tell us about the others uh, uh, that are on that panel and and what you're expecting out of that. Yeah. um, So this panel is pretty stacked as far as journalistic talent. Um, Matthew Algio, who wrote All This Marvelous Potential about Robert Kennedy's 1968 tour of Appalachia, is on the panel. Um, He actually lives overseas now, but has reported for many, many publications. And um, I think might still work for NPR. He's still a journalist. Um, And then we've got Samantha and then Jeff Young, whose book Appalachian Fall was published in August, I believe. Um, So he wrote that with the Ohio Valley resource reporters that he works with so closely, one of which is the moderator, Sydney Bowles. And so Jeff um, actually suggested that I ask Sydney to moderate because she's so familiar with this subject and she asked wonderful questions. Um, This will be a pre-recorded session that we're going to premiere during the um, Saturday, November 14th, kind of big festival celebration. And so um, a lot of what they had to say in their talk is relevant. Um, it was relevant when, uh, you know, in 1968, when Robert Kennedy visited Appalachia, and it's still relevant now. Um, and so I think these authors really spoke well to each other's books. Um, so I was pleased with how the conversation went. And um, it's not just uh, gloom and doom. Uh, you know, there's uh, there's hope um, from these, from these reporters and what they've seen over the years, um, in this region. And so, yeah, it's pretty fascinating. Um, what, what they talk about from coal, um, and industry to journalism and education, um, literacy and stereotypes. It's, it's just all here. Um, so it was a jam packed, uh, hour conversation. Um, it was, it was great. So, my guests today on the Think Humanities podcast are Brooke Raby from the University Press of Kentucky and Sarah Woods, the director of the Kentucky Book Festival. And we'll talk more about that big day, November the 14th, right after this from Spalding University. At Spalding University's School of Creative and Professional Writing, students develop mastery of the writing skills, highly prized in today's workplace, including arts and humanities organizations government agencies, corporations, and small businesses. A professional writing student will explore opportunities writing for trade and consumer media, including reviews, profiles, interviews, and articles for sports, food, travel, 
health and science, and other publications. Learn more at spalding.edu slash schoolofwriting or email schoolofwriting at spalding.edu. All right, Sarah, you are on um, um, and up to bat. Um, You've uh, put this day together uh, virtually uh, online, uh, and we're all uh, anticipating uh, a big day. Um, And let me just say right up front that um, I'm – I don't think I'm that uh, unique or or different than a lot of people. We've we've become accustomed to living by Zoom. I, I if if I hear somebody else complain about if I have to sit through another Zoom meeting, I'm just gonna just I, I don't feel that. I think if uh, and we've worked really hard to uh, put some um, pizzazz into these uh, these Zoom. Conversations. I think almost every one that we've had uh, on our happy hours have been there. There've been something in there for everyone. They've been interesting. Uh, gosh, how many opportunities are you going to have to uh, really hear Nicholas Kristoff um, standing outside on his uh, Oregon uh, farm? Uh, in uh, conversation with Transylvania University's Deidre Denny to talk about his book, A Type Rope. And we've got a whole lineup of that uh, coming on Saturday, November the 14th. Now, am I fool enough to think that somebody's going to stay glued to their laptop all day long? Of course not, except me. Um, But I'm weird. Um, I think a lot of people will find and sort of uh, cherry pick, if you will, uh, a panel or two or three or four all through the evening uh, and afternoon and, and morning. It's going to be fabulous. So hit the uh, hit the highlights there and tell us uh, what you're looking forward to. Sure. Well, I will say there's a, there are two more UPK books featured on the 14th that um, I'm going to talk about. Uh, Melanie Beals Gone book about uh, the fight for women's suffrage in Kentucky, um, which is, uh, as I've complimented to Brooke before the the cover is just so great uh the classic image of the woman suffragette with the gold purple and gold uh colors so it's fantastic and you can see it really prominently when you go into a bookstore just you know I saw it yesterday I was like oh there it is um but uh, the, she's going to be in conversation with some uh, a historian Martha S Jones um Elaine Weiss and Dr. Kathy Bullock. And it's, uh, you know, celebrating women's suffrage. But um, the books actually, this is another session we pre-recorded and we're going to premiere. And um, I was pleasantly surprised to find that the books had even more in common than I initially thought. Um, Dr. Martha Jones, um, her book is called Vanguard, How Black Women Broke Barriers, Won the Vote, and Insisted on Equality for All. That came out in September, and um, she actually did some research in Kentucky and Tennessee to write her book, and so that connects to Melanie Beals Gone to her book, but it also connects to Elaine Weiss because um, in the Woman's Hour, the Great Fight to Win the Vote, um, her book is set in Nashville in August 1920. Um, so all these books regionally connect. Um, a lot closer than I thought, even though the authors themselves live in um, Maryland and uh, I think maybe both two of them live in Maryland. Um, So we were able to, that's one of the benefits of Zoom. 
we're able to um, bring these women together and um, have them talk about women's suffrage and um, just so such a timely conversation. And um, there's a lot to be learned still, um, which is fantastic. And all these books are unique in their own way. So it was a it was a great conversation to witness. And it's a great one that uh, we'll be able to to share. Elaine Weiss's book is going to be um, what they're calling a major television event um, sometime soon. So uh, I'm waiting to hear more about that. But um, Melanie Gones's book is called A Simple Justice. Well, yeah, the thing that I really liked about Melanie Gones' book is that um, we all sort of know the big national names. So you're Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Stan- or Katie Stanton. Um, and then there, you know, we sort of know the big three in Kentucky, uh, you know, Laura Clay and um, Madeline McGill Breckenridge and Josephine Henry. Um, but she really even goes beyond that to even lesser known sort of unsung heroes in the fight for women's suffrage over the better part of a century. You all, this, this book covers basically uh, 1830 to 1920 up to the ratification of the 19th Amendment. And it's a very clear picture or a very, uh, yeah, a very comprehensive picture of what the women's vote for suffrage looked like in Kentucky. And, and Sarah, just uh, so we won't forget, uh, you mentioned a second UPK book on Saturday, November 14th. Mm-hmm. At 7 p.m. with Silas House, Robert Geitz, and Ashley Blooms, we'll have Karen Sawyer McElmurray speaking about her book, Wanting Radiance. So all these authors write fiction. Um, what I've kind of asked them to discuss in their conversation, which is called views of a place writing Kentucky then and now is, um, you know, how place impacts their writing because they all write uh, firmly grounded in um, a particular landscape, such as for Silas, you know, Tennessee and Kentucky. Um, And then how the places that they're inspired by have changed over the years and how that impacts their writing. People always digress from the, the theme of the panel, which is fine. Um, but Robert Geip, for instance, I mean, his books are going to be, they're going to hit home with people that live in this region in Kentucky, Tennessee, Ohio. And, you know, if you're, if you're reading about it in California, it might be a little more foreign to you, but it's going to at least give you a view of a place you've not visited. Maybe you're not familiar with. Um, so that's kind of, kind of the deal here. It's, um, it's, it's kind of a, a dark tale. Um, her latest book, Wanting Radiance is, um, uh, about a, a girl who's kind of uncertain about her circumstances after her mother gets um, gets murdered, um, and there's some uh, kind of kind of a it seems like a bildungsroman for this female character where she's uh, almost on a hero's journey trying to figure out uh, her place in the world. And um, anyway, it's partly set in uh, in Knoxville, so kind of close to home. I love this idea, the sort of transient mother-daughter duo and and the fact that even in a life that is not super stable, that relationship is is such a such a huge part of her stability as a person and uh, miracles stability as a person. And, you know, after losing her mother, you know, she just sort of keeps on living that life. And, you know, at, at a certain point, I think in her mid thirties, she, um, that's not, that becomes untenable, I think for her and needs, she needs to figure out a place where she can settle and whether that's a place or within herself. 
Yeah. And there was a bit of magic in this book with, with fortune telling and such. So she fit in well with Ashley Bloom's debut in a way, because the main character of every bone of prayer can kind of talk to animals. And there's a little bit of uh, magical realism in the book and it's set in Appalachia as well. So um, I thought the books all kind of spoke well to each other and Silas house is going to moderate the session. And so, you know, with, with it in his hands, he's actually read all these books um, he said he worked pretty closely with Annette Clapsaddle, I believe, right? Yeah, so I was torn where to put Silas. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I think Annette is in good hands with, with Margaret Verbal, too. Um, um, this one, it, it'll be a fun way to close out the book festival. It's the last session at 7 p.m., and it's live. Um, and we are going to have Lee Smith drop in and talk about her most recent book because, um, Silas is a huge admirer of hers. And so, um, she's going to hop in and, and say hi as well. Um, so it might go a little longer than an hour. We'll see. <laughs> I don't know. Well, it's Saturday night. Uh, yeah. what else you got to do? So uh, kyhumanities.org or kentuckybookfestival.org, kybookfestival.org uh, for the full and complete schedule uh, from uh, the 11th, uh, as you're listening to this, all the way through the 14th, uh, the 14th of November, a full day of terrific uh, uh, discussions and uh, guests and um, authors. Uh, and let me just close by asking each of you to comment very briefly on uh, this, and that is, are, are you um, are you optimistic about the reading public? Are you um, uh, even though we've been through uh, one of the strangest times in our lifetime and in the publishing world? Uh, pub, uh, book sales are up, if you can believe that, uh, and maybe that's because people are uh, locked in and and are reading a lot more. We hope that the independent bookstores uh, do well. Uh, They are pulling out all stops to to sell as much as they possibly can. Uh, But you, the reading public and your interactions with your coworkers, your colleagues, uh, your family, the general public, I just find people are being um, uh, uh, consumed by, by reading and discussions in history. God, what a what a great time to discuss uh, history or, or to learn about Frederick Douglass from David Blight, uh, whose book now is out in paperback and is one of our guests. So just your comments on as we close about uh, the future of, of books and publishing in this world of ours. Brooke, why don't you go first? Overall, I, I generally stay optimistic about the reading public, um, and, and that may be naive of me, but I think that books are their own special kind of magic. Um, and and especially now, you know, outside of normal times, especially now when we're we're doing a lot more sitting at home and having a little more time to uh, to be introspective and to think about things that we don't normally think about. There's no better place to turn than a book to help you understand um, history, to help you understand humanity, to help you understand, you know, what has happened and what could possibly come. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm happy. I'm happy. Any format people read in. Um, I'm just happy that they're reading and I'm happy that there's a greater understanding of the purpose that books serve. Yeah, I, uh, I know I've been reading, well, probably as much as usual, but (laughs) um, I'm not all only turning to books that I've owned and read in the past, but uh, looking at things that 
Um, maybe I wouldn't normally read like some historical fiction and stuff like that. And so uh, there's a lot of books to discover, even though authors aren't on the road able to promote them. Um, people need to know that authors are eager to meet with them and talk to their fans. And as soon as COVID um, starts to go away, which um, no spring tours are are planned right now for authors, um, you know, uh, for their own safety. But hopefully in the fall of 2021, we're able to come back together and people will have read so many books by then and they can uh, talk about it. And because there's, um, you know, reading by yourself is great and fun and you can learn a lot. And, and as Brooke said, um, it instills empathy and helps people understand history and the world around them. But um, when people meet in a book club or a book group or with with friends and peers, um, hearing other people's opinions and how books affect them um, brings a, a whole other level of joy and delight to the reading experience. And so um, that's one reason why uh, book festivals are important and um, going to a bookstore and talking to a bookseller and saying, hey, I liked this book and I'm looking for one that's similar to it. Um, or a librarian. I mean, good Lord, librarians are so happy to help people discover books. Um, and then it's a little easier on your wallet too, but uh, buy books for Christmas presents and start shopping now <laughs> because and shop at your indie bookstore because they really need it um, now more than ever. Uh, Sarah and Brooke, thanks so much. We will uh, see you at the book festival. Thank you so much. Thanks, Bill. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's stories for 48 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.